about a week and a half ago, I was in a meeting. I just want to say this this way. I was in a meeting, and uh, a guest of the meeting was talking about this topic. Let's see how this sounds to you. Ordinary revival. Now, as the, as the people in the room were talking about ordinary revival, I kept having this uh, deep thought that one of those words didn't belong in the sentence with the other word. And as I heard it, my initial thought was that the word ordinary did not belong in that sentence with revival. As I listened to him talk about it continually further on, I want you to know that the word I became convinced didn't belong in the sentence was revival. Because he wasn't talking about revival, he was talking about signing people up to volunteer within the community, and we wouldn't be having any of that raise your hand and talk about Jesus stuff. Just want you to know that this is the thoughts going on in my heart about that. The two thoughts. One, sorry. Um, one is that nowhere near revival does ordinary belong. And I think I made that clear that those two words don't go together. I can almost hear. Um, in the background of my Sesame Street memory, hearing two of these things don't go together. Two of them just don't fit. <laughs> um, with those two words, that there's nothing about that. But as we went around the room and talked about what would happen with revival, the one thing started to rise up in me is that if we were going to be involved in revival, there was going to have to be a deep work of the Spirit. Not in the people you're seeking to revive, but in the people leading the revival. Now as we go into the text today, I want to make sure that, that you know that, that the text itself is about people that don't know Christ and what goes on in the book of Revelation with them. And yet we ourselves sometimes are in that spot where we act just like people that don't know Jesus. And this is how this happens, and I will say it this way. I was having this conversation with a young woman um, yesterday. That holiness is entirely about which direction and who we are face to face with. Holiness is about looking and setting and centering yourself on Jesus and what he's done for you. But in my heart, as I began to think about the deep work that might have to happen around revival in here, I began to look at what might have to happen in my heart, and I said, hmm, not quite sure I want to do that. And instead of being front and center on Jesus, I started to do this little thing. Have you ever done that in your life where you, you'd really like to do what Jesus wants you to do, but it feels really hard and you don't really want to? You know, uh, flying too close to the flame and getting burned and maybe, maybe it's hard work and you're not really in for that. But in that economy of facing Jesus as you start to do this, 
I want you to remember what we talked about just a few weeks ago in Revelation 7, that punishment, that this will seem like a lot of punishment that God is dealing out, that if those of us who have been parents or have seen parents in action, and we need to understand that when parents punish kids, unless they're evil, only punish kids to get their attention, to get them to stop on the direction they're going and to turn and change direction. And the amount of the punishment is entirely about what it takes to rein you in and turn your head to the other direction. So if I had turned all the way around this way, it's going to take more to turn me back. As we get to do this, I want to remind you, as I read this, this is a chunk of the book of Revelation. It's the trumpets. But as we do this, I want to remind you, numbers are tricky in the book of Revelation. In in chapter 6, it was a quarter of the earth is affected. In this chapter, it'll be a third, a third, a third, a third. It's a bigger number. It's a more drastic get your attention sort of moment. But the last time we had six seals come forward, this was the response. I want to, I want to read the response from chapter six. So you know what's coming. Kings, princes, generals, rich and strong. That sounds like the leaders along with every commoner slave or free. They hid in the mountain caves and rocky dens and called out to the mountains and rocks, Refuge, hide us from the one seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand it? Now some of your translations will have this in it. They called out to the rocks and asked the rocks to fall on them. Rather than be changed... One other thing to remind you that there's this little, there's this little illusion behind the scenes in the book of Revelation to the creation week or, or that. And that is that there are six of them. It says there's seven of them and on six of them something happens. And on the seventh things, it, it keeps pausing. So when there are six seals, there was all these terrible things. And on the seventh seal, it was silence in heaven. You're going to see that today. There's going to be seven trumpets, but we're only going to hear six of them. Now, I want you to remember that rhythm from Genesis where God worked for six days and then he rested. So Sabbath, as you say in your, in your children's moment, it's a, it's, it's a rule, but we don't build extra rules to make the Sabbath important. The Sabbath is important because we need to pay attention to God and honor him that way. But as we do this, so I want you to read this, and I will stop and sort of give some commentary along the way. This is from Revelation 8 through chapter 9. The seven angels with the trumpets got ready to blow them. At the first trumpet, blast... Hail and fire mixed with blood were dumped on the earth and a third of the earth was scorched and a third of the trees and a third of the, and every blade of grass was burned to a crisp. I tell you, if you trying to get somebody's attention, this is the way to do it. 
The second angel trumpeted something like a huge mountain blazing with fire was flung into the sea and a third of the sea was turned to blood and a third of the living sea creatures died and a third of the ship sank. Okay, just recognize the power of the picture of trying to get somebody's attention. Getting stronger. The third angel trumpeted. A huge star blazing like a torch fell from heaven, wiping out a third of the rivers and a third of the springs. And the star's name was Wormwood and the, and a third of the water turned bitter and many people died from the poisoned water. The fourth angel trumpeted. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were hit, blackened out by a third both day and night, in one-third blackout. Do you hear the amount of attention being tried and given to getting somebody's attention? Now, I personally am kind of headstrong. I need people to get in my face sometimes and say, Whoa, dude, stop. Matter of fact, years ago, I directed a retreat and I was asking the vice director if he would be willing to do that. And he was a very nice man. He's, he's one of the nicest men. And I specifically said, Tom, before you say yes to this, I need to know whether or not if I'm a train wreck about to happen, can you put your hand in your, my chest and say, stop? I know that about me. I know it takes a lot to get my attention. I would like to think that this would get my attention. But we move on. I looked hard, and I heard a lone eagle. Right in the middle of this, things falling out of heaven and earth, and an eagle sounds, and we're going to listen to that. I There's something in this picture, right? Remember, attention. What's it going to take to change our direction? A lone eagle, eagle flying through middle heaven, crying out ominously, doom, doom, doom to everyone left on earth. There are three more angels about to blow their t trumpets. Doom is on their way. Because, you know, angels talk like that. The fifth angel trumpeted, I saw the star plummet from heaven to earth, and the, the star was handed a key to the well of the abyss, and he unlocked the well of the abyss, and smoke poured out of the well, billows and billows of smoke, sun and air, and blackout from smoke pouring out of the well. Then the smoke out of the smoke crawled locusts with venom of scorpions. What's it going to take to get your attention? What's it going to take to get the world's attention? They were given their orders. Don't hurt the grass, which, by the way, was already gone in the first trumpet. Don't hurt it anymore. So the picture isn't literal. It's this thing happening where attention... Don't hurt anything green. Don't hurt a single tree only men and women, and then only those who lack the seal of God on their foreheads. Right? That's Revelation 7. They were then ordered to torture but not kill. Torture them for five months, and the pain will be like a scorpion sting. When this happens, people are going to prefer death to torture, look for ways to kill themselves, but they won't find a way Death will have gone into hiding. 
The locusts looked like horses ready for war. They had gold crowns and human faces and women's hair and the teeth of lions and iron breastplates because that is an impressive picture to start thinking about. This should get your attention. I want you to hear the magnitude of what God's going through to get attention. Where was I? Their tails were equipped with stingers, like scorpion tails. And and those tails that were ordered to torture the human race. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name was Abaddon, or Apollyon, the destroyer. The first doom has passed, two dooms yet to come. The sixth angel trumpeted. I heard the voice speaking to the sixth angel from the horns of the golden altar before God. Let the four angels loose. The angels confined the great river. And the four angels were untied and let loose. And they prepared to exact for the exact year, month, day, and even hour when they were to kill a third of the human race. The number of the army of horsemen was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Remember, tricky numbers, but thousands is a lot. Ten thousands is a lot. Ten thousand times ten thousand is starting to be innumerable, hard to count, and then double that. I want you to get the picture of how big a deal this is. Not much longer now. I heard the count and saw both the horses and the riders in my vision, fiery breastplates on the riders, lion heads on the horses, breathing out fire and smoke and brimstone. And with these three weapons, fire and smoke and brimstone, they killed a third of the human race. The horses killed with their mouths and their tails, their serpent-like tails, also heads that wreaked havoc. Okay. Has God got your attention yet? Now I know that I said that the book of Revelation is meant to encourage believers. But I also started out talking about a little bit about what it means to be God's person and maybe not completely signed up yet for every single thing he's going to do in your life and how you kind of start to turn away and that the deep work of the spirit has to be done in us if we're going to do work in our community. And we do that. We can't do revival in our community if we aren't willing to go to a place of faith that we haven't been yet. How could you ever ask anybody to move to a place of faith that they've not been at if you're unwilling to make a move like that? That's the reason revival is so hard, is the people of God need to have their attention struck down too. This is what happens in the people. The remaining men and women who weren't killed by these weapons went on their merry way. I'm suddenly thinking there's a commercial that I see on TV where the end of the earth is happening and the man and the woman are dancing a tango on the ends of the earth. Unfazed. Here it is. They went on their merry way, didn't change their way of life, didn't quit worshiping demons, didn't quit entering their lives, centering their lives around lumps of gold and silver and brass and hunks of stone and wood that couldn't see or don't hear or move. 
There wasn't a sign of a change of heart. They plunged right on in their murderous, occult, promiscuous, and thieving ways. Let me, let me just read that last little two verses again, just so you know how big was the picture, how much attention as we sit here and go, scary, if I was going through that, I hope I would change. Wasn't that your thought when you're doing this? I sure hope I'm one of the sealed of God that I don't have to go through that. But if I go through that, I hope I would change so that it doesn't get worse for me. This is what the people did. The remaining men and women who weren't killed by these weapons went on their merry way, didn't change their way of life, didn't quit worshiping demons, didn't quit centering their lives around lumps of gold or silver or brass or, or pieces of metal painted really nice with engines in them that drive around town, and stone and wood and couldn't, that couldn't see her. Right? Do we center our lives around lumps of things that are just made from earth that are God's gifts to us, but then we center them and we de- deflect our attention? Yes. We do that too. There wasn't a sign of a change of heart. I want to ask us to, to take a moment and and enter into this new work of redemption that God, I think, is asking for us to do in our lives so that when it comes time for people that don't know Jesus to make a change in their life, they'll have an example of people that have made changes in their lives that they can see, and then we can do that. And the reason why we need to do that is, A, because just because you said yes to Jesus and at the beginning of your walk of faith does not mean he's done with you. He's always wooing and asking you to come into, into the relationship with him deeper and closer and do that. And so holiness, which I started off saying is that if I'm facing Jesus, that's holiness. Holiness is not about where I am on the line of maturity, but where I am facing on that line of maturity. So if I'm a brand new believer and I'm facing Jesus, that's holiness. But if I'm a seminary graduate, and I'm leading a church, and I'm all the way down this road to, to maturity, and suddenly I go, you know, I'm not really sure, God, that I want to do that thing that you're asking me to do. I'm suddenly not facing God. Not holiness. Holiness. So this week... God was starting to do some work in me, and these are the things that I've learned this week again. Make sure that you hear me say this, that I know I'm not complete and done in Jesus. And I hope you know that you're not complete and done in Jesus. And then we continually go through these steps. And there are always these steps. But this is the first thing we need to know. That faith is not private. We don't crawl into a hole or a cave and ask the mountains to fall on us. Because my faith is private. God is personally involved with each and every one of us. And he's 
asking us to be personal and relational in this thing and not cut off the process in the middle and go, okay, I'm out. That was all I wanted. I, 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 I didn't sign up for that. That is private faith. God is personal faith. You and him. And the people around you so that they can see that. Personal, not private. Again, something else I learned again. This isn't as easy to do as it seems from outside. That the task of loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus and changed and, and being open to what he has in your life is not easy. It's not, oh, cakewalk, I'll just do that. Sometimes you have to say, wow, I don't know, but I'll try. It is difficult. But difficult is the third thing I want you to understand. What he has for you is so much better than what you have for you. And the difficulty is worth it. It's worth the process. It's not something that you just go, well, you know, I just forget about it. Look back at your own life and those steps of faith. Where do you remember the changes or the paradigm shifts or whatever you need to know about faith, do you remember when you made the big steps? It wasn't because they were easy things. It was because God moved and changed your heart and moved inside you, and you essentially built an altar, or as we sing in one of our songs, Here I Lay My Ebenezer. And you might have sung that song over and over again. Do you know what song that is? Re, Here I Lay My Ebenezer. Come thou font. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, you might have sung that word and go, and I'm going to sing those words, but I don't really know what an Ebenezer is, and I'll just do that. What that is is a memory stone. It's a spot where you say, I'm changed from here on. I, I don't get to go back past this point again. It's the spot where at Bethel would... When Jacob wrestles with God and he draws a line, and he says, I don't, I'm not going that way again. I'm going back this way. I'm, even if I get back to this line, that's, I can't go back. This happened. Here I lay my Ebenezer, my memory stone. God builds an altar in this spot and you worship. And every one of those spots in your life, oh, how valuable those are. But they're valuable because they're hard-fought places of faith. And you might think that they're hard-fought because they were hard on you. They were hard on you because you finally accepted the gift that Jesus paid the price for. And you were sitting there going, well, this is just me. So I'll just, you just listen in on Dave preaching to Dave for a second. Every time I do this, it's like, no, I can handle that pot spot, Jesus. And he's going, but I already did. 
And what I have for you is better than what you can provide. And it is. I'm going to sneeze here. I just know it. So here it is. This is what I want you to understand. And I want you to start praying and being ready. Rendezvous this year, the speaker is going to talk about revival and renewal. If we're going to talk about renewal and revival, we have to be ready for the deep work of the Spirit that God's going to do in us first. Because we can't ask people to go to a place that we're not willing to go to. You want somebody to go to a place, well, well, I want you to trust Jesus, but I'm not trust. See, it doesn't work that way. It's the spot where if we're going to ask people to trust Jesus and we're trusting Jesus, then we're selling a product we've bought. But if we aren't buying the product, how do you ask? It's so worth it. But what happens is, as you fight this battle and as you turn your face to him and you keep that holiness agreement with him and you make changes in your life and you become his people and you keep becoming his people, the chains that weigh you down, that keep you back, that hold you back, that change your life, that make things not work, they start breaking. Because it isn't Jesus that puts those chains on you. It's you saying no or me saying no to Jesus that puts those chains on me. He's already paid the price to get rid of them. Let's accept the gift. So what I'm telling you is this could be difficult work, but when God is trying to get your attention, I want you to ask this question. What will it take for me to change my direction? so that when somebody's direction is being changed near me, I can be ready. Lord Jesus, help us enter in to the work of redemption that you are constantly, always, ever doing in our lives. Help us move further in and further on into faith that we might be your people always facing you in holiness. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.